G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're turning our attention to Christian perspectives on China. You might have seen the mainstream media news reports showing the 20th Congress. President Xi Jinping shoring up his own power indefinitely. What those reports don't tell you is of the deepening internal civil war with two factions fighting for dominance of the Chinese Communist Party. Some insights today with special attention to the Chinese Christian Church. Responding to a deepening darkness, suffocating repression and escalating persecution. Our special guest today says life has become increasingly difficult in Xi Jinping's China. From the pursuit of the China dream of prosperity and discovering it was unattainable, the people have reportedly stopped striving and moved to doing what is necessary to survive. From striving to surviving with frustration and disillusionment to an abandonment of life goals based on hopelessness and despair, many trying to even run away or flee China with fears of it fast becoming a prison. Well, our focus is on China today, and Elizabeth Kendall, Religious Liberty Analyst, back with us. She's an advocate for the Persecuted Church, a former principal researcher for the World Evangelical Alliance, Religious Liberty Commission. She's the author of a couple of books. We'll talk about those shortly. But Elizabeth Kendall, a special welcome back to 2020. And thanks for having me, Neil. Elizabeth, uh, if anyone's been watching any mainstream news, you can't miss what's been happening in China. There's lots of reporting on the uh, the huge Congress that's gathered. It's the 20th Congress of the National Chinese Communist Party and uh, leaders meeting there and another five-year term for Xi Jinping. What are your perceptions of what we're actually seeing in the media? Well, one thing that the media doesn't really and hasn't explained very well is that the Chinese Communist Party, uh, historically, or certainly since the death of Mao, has not been a monolith. So it's not just one big group of all people that, you know, they, they don't all agree with each other. So since the death of Mao, when Deng Xiaoping became the paramount leader, you had two factions. Uh, one was what's called the Shanghai faction, which represented all those very wealthy Chinese cities. And Deng Xiaoping, you know, he famously said uh, that the Chinese Communist Party would change direction. We're not going to be like Mao anymore. We're going to have reform and openness. We're going to get rich he said to get rich is glorious. And in those cities along the coast, like Shanghai, they just boomed. And we saw them go from, oh, like backward backwaters to these booming metropolises in the space of a couple of decades. The other faction was called, the, it was the Chinese Communist Youth League. 
and it mainly represents the rural areas uh, and the farmers and the agriculturalists of China's rural heartlands. Now, what Deng Xiaoping decided should happen in China after Mao was the presidents should have term limits, right? Two five-year terms only, so that's a 10-year term only, and that the power should rotate between these two factions. Now, and they, they always did. So the president would be from one faction, the vice president from the other, and then after 10 years, they would switch. Now, Xi Jinping, when he came to power in 2013, he was from the Shanghai faction, right, that represents the wealthy elites and the wealthy cities. But he very quickly broke away to create his own faction. And he's consolidated his power by purging the Communist Party of tens of thousands of people who don't support him. And uh, he's just completely consolidated his power. He's rewritten the rule book. And this Congress that's just started yesterday on Sunday really is the beginning of a new era when Xi Jinping will consolidate this movement back into a Maoist type of repression. And some might say, Elizabeth, why would he do that? Uh, is there something in the ideology that he holds? Uh, is there something that he sees from the past under Mao that he might be trying to regain? Why would he do that, do you think? Well, the Shanghai faction has always believed that we have to open up. Reform and openness will make us rich. And the idea was that the Communist Party would get its legitimacy from prosperity, from making people rich and prosperous. However, in recent years, it's become, or in the last decade at least, Xi Jinping has become aware, like economists have become aware all over the world, that the Chinese economy is slowing down. Uh, it remained centralised to a large extent, but still there was all this burgeoning free market activity happening in the cities. And the Communist Party, uh, many believed, like Xi Jinping believed, was losing control a little bit. They looked at the Soviet Union. They thought if we continue to open up, we continue to get rich, China will fall apart. The Communist Party will no longer have control. Elizabeth, uh, as if you can hear me, um, and you for the yep, CCP. Sorry, our link has been uh, just the uh, only way for the CCP. Okay, you go. I can hear you again. Okay, the the only way for the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, to maintain control, was essentially to give up on this idea that it can make everyone rich, right? So. He has moved, he's moving the country back into a Maoist-style repression. He says we can no longer make everyone rich. So he's gone from the, what he was promoting was the Chinese dream, which is everyone gets rich. Now he's moved to common prosperity, which, many, which is everyone's the same, which means you take from the rich and you give to the poor. And a lot of China's very wealthy elites have become very, very uncomfortable. And some people are saying this is creating common poverty 
not common prosperity. So under communism, which is a godless system where the idea is that everybody's equal and everyone shares in the prosperity, so those who are rich, what will be taken from you will be given to the poor and it supposedly is a a way of equalising wealth. Uh, but of course, that comes with its own <laughs> its own uh, difficulties, doesn't it? How do you describe what the likely outcome of that is going to be for China? Well, uh, one Chinese analyst has recently written um, that that common prosperity, which immediately made everyone nervous because they knew what it meant, and um, uh, I think he's Jack Ma, one of the great uh, Chinese billionaires was arrested and basically this is a forcible redistributing of wealth. They're not promoting benevolence and charity. They're taking your assets. So Chinese actors and actresses who'd become very wealthy in the Chinese movie industry were suddenly being arrested and having their wealth stripped from them. But what's happening really is that China's in such a bad place actually uh, that the common prosperity is becoming common poverty. Everyone's becoming very poor very quickly. We're very dependent, therefore, on the Communist Party. I was saying in the introduction today, uh, from my understanding of the sorts of things we'd be talking about today, getting a, a check on the pulse of the people, the thought of going from striving and thriving to then simply surviving and then with what comes beyond that with disillusionment and abandonment of goals uh, to despair. Uh, Thoughts here about perceptions on how things are developing with the people of China? Yes, well, this is where, um, you know, chat, sort of internet chat, uh, becomes very interesting. It's like a thermometer. You can test the test the the temperature of the population. So in March and April of last year, so 2021, the second year into the pandemic, a trend emerged amongst Chinese youths of uh, the the term Tang Ping, right? And what Tang Ping means translates to is lying flat. And they'd, they'd post images of themselves to WeChat, just lying on the ground, sleeping on the park benches, and they just don't want to work anymore because they've been striving for years. They've been embracing the Chinese dream of prosperity. They've been working, embracing the Chinese model of, it's called 996. You work from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. six days a week, and you will get rich. And they've done it, and they're now coming into their towards their thirties, and they're saying, "I still can't afford to buy a house. I still can't find time to maintain relationships. I still can't do any of those things that I want to do. What is the point?" Now, of course, they can't afford to truly lie flat. That is to do nothing. But what they're doing is they're just not doing anything beyond the absolute necessity to survive. So. It indicated that their mood had dropped. Interesting, isn't it? But by this year, it's worse. (laughs) And we might just presume here uh, that people will work hard 
when they feel as though they will gain some benefit of that, when they'll be able to keep some of the wealth that they work towards. But under a communist party atheism, uh, there's no such thing necessarily as something that might say uh, you can have private ownership because this private ownership is a Christian idea. This is something we That's get right. even from the Ten Commandments. So, so Western civilization, Christian civilization, uh, really has this idea of private ownership and, as you say, a charitableness about it so that you don't have to have a forced redistribution of wealth. Thoughts here about the difference that there is between nations or empires or however you like to talk about those, Elizabeth, that that China does not have that we've experienced here? Well, it's just the age-old debate, you know, between socialism and capitalism. So, and, and you just have to look around the world at, at socialist governments that have centralised everything. And probably North Korea is like at the top of the tree in this regard. But And what they've done is they've produced famine virtually all the time because they take away people's incentive to work. If you're going to – if the government's going to take everything that you earn and all the crops that you grow – and no matter what you produce, they'll just give you enough to survive. What's the point in working any harder? So it, it removes people's initiative to, uh, you know, to, to work harder and get a little bit more so you can, you know, extend your house and go on a holiday. So it has a very dampening effect on everything. And uh, so that's just the age-old debate. People say, oh, but the, you know, the Christians in the early church were socialists. They shared everything. But they were benevolent. They shared. It came from their heart. Their heart was different. It wasn't being taken from them. And uh, it was a completely different thing altogether. You take away the benevolence and the, the love of God and the love of neighbor, then you, it's just a dog-eat-dog and uh, it doesn't work in the real world. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you. The Monday edition of 2020, our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question you might have a comment, you might have a critique for our conversation, that's fine too. 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Elizabeth Kendall, a religious liberty analyst and advocate for the persecuted church. We are talking about the latest developments in China. There's something we need to just enlarge on a little here, Elizabeth. If we're talking about... Uh, the viral idea of lying flat, as you mentioned, that people have lost their incentive to work hard to gain wealth because they won't be able to keep it. Uh, there's another viral saying that's been going viral as well, and that's called let it rot. What is that all about? Well, that's this year's trend. So in 2021, lying flat, Tang Ping was the was the chat and, the, as I said, a viral sentiment, mostly among young people. You know, youth unemployment in China is 19.9%. It's huge. And, of course, the, the zero COVID and everything has had a, had a lot to do with that. Um, it has crushed the private sector. It has been devastating. But this year, it started with the Shanghai lockdown, the first big major lockdown of an entire mega, mega city uh, in Shanghai. 
in March of this year, the Tangping was suddenly yesterday's uh, trend and let it rot became the trend for 2022 or buy land. Now, apparently buy land comes from a sporting uh, a sporting uh, analogy where a sports team that's being thrashed realises that it's hopeless, they can't win, basically just give up and conserve their energy and hopefully it'll end a bit quicker. So that's what buy, where buy land comes from and letting it rot goes way beyond lying down, uh, lying flat. So um, lying flat means you don't strive because you're not going to get the house and the and then happy marriage and everything. Um, uh, letting it rot means just giving up. You give up on all your life's goals, home, marriage, everything. It's never going to happen. Accept it. There's a real nihilistic attitude about it. And I said in my post, I said, um, if lying flat is a statement of frustration and disillusionment, then let it rot is a lament of hopelessness and despair. And so that's that's this year's. And it really came out of the lockdowns. The lockdowns in the cities of China have been un unbelievable. And um, back in March, uh, the International Strategic Studies Association uh, published a piece on the Shanghai lockdown and they they commented they commented so this is this is April 2022 the International Strategic Studies Association they said um, uh, most people have assessed that the lockdowns are designed to bring the locals to heal ending the speculation of free movement and of economic prosperity ensuring that the Xi faction would not be challenged. The authors of the report also noted that tens of thousands had already died from deliberately induced widespread starvation in Xi'an, Shanghai and elsewhere in mainland China. So, I mean, we don't hear about this. We don't hear about uh, large tens of thousands of people have starved to death. I think most people may have seen the footage that was released from Shanghai uh, of nighttime footage with, um, you know, lights on in various apartments and this wailing, people wailing and crying. And you could hear it all through the city, uh, just the most, like a dystopian horror movie. Well, um, people were starving to death. People were dying from want of their basic medications. No food in the house. The, the, the government went through basically overnight to seal their apartments shut. There's, a, there's an amazing bit of footage uh, out on YouTube uh, by China Insights of an elderly man. He looks like he's well into his 70s, maybe into his 80s. And he knocks on the window of the neighbouring apartment and a young man opens the window and he's filming the conversation with this young man, with this old man who wants to know when is it going to end because he's got no food and and he's and he can't get out into his passageway because the door is sealed shut from the passageway so he's knocking on the window and you realize that he's up in the sky he's 12 floors up and the young man saying please 
can you get back into your own apartment? And he climbs around like, like in a James Bond movie around the outside of this apartment. That's the desperation. There are people you cannot – people cannot move. Um, often, often whole apartment blocks are sealed and fenced in. Whole districts will be fenced in. Um, if you can move to a hospital because you've gone into labour but you don't have a green light on your phone that says you're allowed to be moving, they won't let you in. There's footage of, women, of a woman giving birth on the footpath attended by passers-by because the hospital won't let her in because her phone doesn't have a green light on it. It is amazing. And there, was, there were protests actually in Henan province a little while ago, a couple of months ago, because the, the provincial government had frozen a whole lot of bank accounts because they were broke. So they froze all the bank accounts and no one could get their money. And when it became evident that people were going out to protest, the government turned the COVID traffic lights on, right? So everyone's phones got red traffic. Everyone who had a frozen bank account got a red traffic light on their phone, which means if you're caught by the, the COVID enforcers, they just take you off the street, take you straight to quarantine, which is like a concentration camp. So during, as, this as it became evident that this was going to be the new normal, young people are just saying, I think I'd rather die, really. They're just saying, like, what's the point of living? Elizabeth, the zero COVID policy that is still in force in China. Now, we have got some access to seeing what's happening in different nations around the world, nations that were hit very hard by COVID. And with the more recent strains not being so severe, those sorts of zero COVID policies have been lifted and so many Western nations have returned to a sense of this is normal life and yes, we've got to live with COVID and yes, COVID does have its effect. But here in China, when you're looking at the the things that you're talking about, these developments and the maintenance of zero COVID, most of us will be thinking, of course, there will be some health benefits if that was true and if it could be contained by having a zero COVID policy. But not many might be linking the thought that the zero COVID policy in China may be more apparently connected to population control than it is about a health benefit. Any thoughts on that type of focus? I'd say it's overwhelmingly about population control. It's about population control. So the Chinese Communist Party has now proven to everyone in China they can completely and totally lock down a city of 25 million people overnight. The, the Dabai, that is the big white, those COVID enforcers in the white hazmat suits, they are not nurses. They are not health professionals. They are members of the People's Armed Police. They are soldiers. There was footage recently released through China Insights of uh, uh, the Dabai, the big white uh, COVID enforcers, actually now carrying around automatic rifles. And people saying, what are you... Who are you pointing those guns at, you know, uh, to stop people leaving leaving the airport or to stop them leaving a shopping centre because there's been one case. So the people are being, they're being taught a lesson. 
the Chinese Communist Party can turn your entire city into a into a concentration camp overnight if it wants to. They have also used this to crush the private sector, right? So economically, uh, the private sector where the money was being made, where all the elites from the Shanghai faction of the, the Shanghai gang within the Communist Party had their backing, they've been crushed, absolutely crushed, and which of course means now that that even, even successful entrepreneurs are now completely and totally going to be dependent on the Chinese Communist Party for their rations. <laughs> Elizabeth, just a few minutes, only a couple of minutes out from news. Uh, thoughts here for how the Chinese church is affected by these sorts of control measures. Have you been monitoring the not only the state church but the underground church? How are things going with them? Well, of course, the Christians are just as, as vulnerable to all these measures as everyone. So Christians are probably dying in their sealed-off apartments right uh, today, elderly Christians, frail Christians. Um, it, it's an appalling situation. And, and after the break, we can talk about uh, Chinese uh, policy with regards to religion. So uh, the Congress opened on Sunday. Xi Jinping has already given his nearly two-hour opening speech confirming that the zero COVID policies will stay in force. Uh, and, and, and I think everything... All those measures will be used along with the social credit system to control everything and everyone. It's all, I think it's going to be like as if the last 10 years of Xi Jinping and what how terrible that's been for the church, that's going to be like a practice run compared to what we're about to face. Our special guest is Elizabeth Kendall, religious liberty analyst and advocate for the persecuted church. Elizabeth Kendall, before we move on to some other issues around the Christian church, just come back to what happens when there is this level of despair in a nation like China because the thought that people are lying flat, they're in despair, they've stopped, stopped striving, they're saying, let it rot, it's not worth pursuing. Uh, people trying to run away from the problem now. Any thoughts here as we get into what's happening with the church where running away from the problem is where a lot of Chinese people are at. Yeah, well, this is uh, particularly the case with people who have been successful, uh, people who've made money, people who've worked in the private sector. Uh, they've been entrepreneurs, they've set up businesses, and all this has been crushed, uh, particularly this year through the zero COVID policies, and they're realising now what's happening. And what they want to do is they want to get out. So... Uh, one of the new terms that's now viral in China from about the middle of this year is uh, runzu, which comes from two words, the English word run. And apparently, and I haven't got it in front of me, apparently it's a play on the Chinese character for prosperity actually looks like the, uh, the, 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 the character for run. So they've chosen the, the English word run and zhu, which means escape, uh, which means to study. So it's the study of escaping, the study of running away, because it's not that simple, of course, and the Chinese government is very quickly closing the doors. It's closing the doors on moving money out of the country, 
it's closing the doors on people getting out of the country. So some people have been complaining, you know, they they went to uh, do something and, and the Chinese, you know, the officials wanted to check their passports and they checked the passport and cut the corner off. So they can't, now they, they know they can't leave the country. So they're really uh, beginning to uh, lock people in and um, I think um, it's uh, really tragic. So that, that will be also affecting the country in the long term because they just will not have the wealth. This is all about the, the Chinese Communist Party staying in power. It's got nothing to do with anything else. It's just about retaining power. And to do it without prosperity means you have to make everyone dependent. So if those who have gathered some wealth over the past decade or two uh, want to keep it, they are seeing their only option as running, uh, escaping, getting out of China. Uh, the fact that they've got to stay means that they'll be forced to share that wealth with the poor. Uh, so you've got this sort of equality type of idea uh, which comes in the communist system. In all of this, Elizabeth... The Christian Church, and perhaps even some history is going to be necessary to understand the significance of what's happened with the Christian Church in China too. How do you describe that, in a nutshell, things as they've developed so far as the growth of the Christian Church? Oh Well, the growth of the Christian Church has been phenomenal. And I think this is something to remember when we're looking at this, uh, the, the situation that is facing the church today. It's very easy to look at it without like a historic context and to feel a great sense of despair. But in uh, by 1953, Chairman Mao, the Mao-led Communist Party, had expelled all foreign missionaries. And at that time, there was great despair because... A lot of foreign missionaries said, oh, dear, you know, we think there might be about a million Christians in China and now we've all got to leave us missionaries. It'll all go to, you know, rot. It'll all die. And they were so despairing of it. But, of course, God, God didn't let that happen. And the church didn't let it happen, most importantly. So not only um, did, did the church not die, but it grew. Now, Mao got rid of all the missionaries by 1953 and in the 19, from about 66 to 76, I think, was the Cultural Revolution. And during that time, that's when Chairman Mao, uh, he executed Christian pastors. He threw them into the, the concentration labour camps. Uh, uh, the famous pastor Samuel Lamb, I think he spent 25 years in a coal mine um, so they were thrown into the coal mines and everything. So the church itself was essentially decapitated, right? Its leaders were taken away. And again, every, there was so much despair about how would the church survive. But, you know, God raised up this army of unassuming evangelists, mostly, almost exclusively women, and mostly elderly women who could sort of slip under the radar of Chinese police and Chinese uh, communist officials, and they went out and evangelised the countryside. And instead of instead of withering away to nothing, the church just grew and grew. Although it, we have to say, for a long time, it was a rural phenomenon. 
you know, the churches all, all through the rural heartland, there were, there were Christians growing everywhere. So phenomenal growth since the 1970s. And then in 1989, there was another huge boost to what happened with the Christian church uh, with what we'll all remember as the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Uh, thoughts here as to what happened since 1989. And this is what's so interesting because, and this is why I I have used in the prayer bulletin the term Christ the Redeemer. You know, Jesus, he redeems us, but he also redeems our disasters and our tragedies and the years the locusts have eaten, all those things. He can turn it around. He can redeem it. The devil thinks he's winning, but Christ comes in. He redeems the situation. So he redeemed the... um, the loss of church leadership in in the Cultural Revolution by raising up this army of elderly women evangelists. Now, with the Tiananmen Square massacre, which was which was a horror, one thing it did was it shook the the, the urban elites. So, people who lived in the cities, particularly Beijing, but people who were watching the politics from the cities, looked at what happened. They thought. Our government has sent tanks in against our young people and shot our young people just because they want more liberty and more democracy, more more opportunities, more say. And this is wrong. And they were rattled, deeply rattled. And Christ redeemed that situation too in that Christ opened a door into the cities through all this. And... Uh, and, and we, this is where we find that the rural phenomenon, of Christianity being a rural phenomenon, now changes. And Christianity starts to take root in the cities amongst lawyers, doctors, teachers, engineers, economists, educated people. And, and we see this incredible uh, urban Christianity just explodes after the Tiananmen Square Massacre. So the 1990s was really a time of really observable revival in China where the city, where the uh, gospel takes root in the cities. Now, Elizabeth, the growth since the Tiananmen Square Massacre, uh, and I know that different speculation, different estimates come from different people, but upwards of 100 million Christian believers now throughout China. And to talk numbers here for a few moments, uh, the Chinese Communist Party must realise that the numbers are significant or there wouldn't be a crackdown on the Chinese church. What are your thoughts here so far as the size of the Chinese church, the extent, and as you say, a rural phenomenon and then into the urban phenomenon, uh, the thought that the CCP might be fearful of a group that is gaining such momentum? Well, I think they're very fearful. So there are now more Christians in China than there are members of the Chinese Communist Party. And once again, it, it's not like a country like India where the Brahmins are on top and the Christians are pretty well all poor and marginalized and downtrodden. In China, God has done something that's really unique. I, I, it seems to me to be unique in the world where we have a persecuted church 
about uh, a minority of people, like 10% maybe, but they are all across society. From the, from the old grandma who sits out in some little shack in rural whoop, 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 right through to really, really highly educated Chinese citizens. In other words, if China was free tomorrow, it, the church would be ready to make a really big impact across every every level of society, in every field, in business, in law, in everything. I mean, I just sort of, I get goosebumps when I think <laughs> that what God is like putting in place here, God is doing something that's just amazing. And I can only believe in my heart that he's doing it still. And, and uh, as we pray for, you know, like, like we talk about, you know, lying flat and letting it rot. Um, but there's still two groups in China. There's the group that are losing all hope and, dis and they're despairing. There's another group and they call them the little pinks. <laughs> the little pinks are the youth who are, they're almost, they're bordering on the red guards. You know, they would be the red guards if that's what they, what if, if she decided they needed that again. They are... They, and, and the Chinese Communist Party employs them often to um, to uh, to feed into you know WeChat and to to constantly counterbalance the negative stories. And they are they've been raised on all this nationalism, Chinese nationalism, and the little pinks are furious. But so there's a clash actually looming, I think. But there are, as we said, multitudes, multitudes of young Chinese people who are just absolutely despairing of future. So the church can speak into this about and, and let these people know that they are loved, that God is not out, out of control. And I think that the fields are ripe for harvest. Of course, the biggest problem is now the danger involved in evangelism and the difficulty in it. There, there's so many laws have been stacked upon each other to make pretty well any Christian witness illegal now that uh, it's difficult. We really have to pray. We think of numbers uh, of the Chinese Christian church and it's very easy to get very excited about the sorts of huge numbers that we speculate about. But those numbers are under the same sorts of uh, deeply uh, suppression-oriented uh, authoritarianism that comes with all of the ways that the Communist Party has able to, to crack down. I'm just thinking, and uh, listeners might like to listen to an earlier podcast on a conversation that we had, Elizabeth Kendall, where you were talking about the preparation for what like it was going to be like a, a resurrected old Silk Road, uh, taking yeah. the gospel uh, across Asia towards Europe and an incredible opportunity that would come there with freedom. Now, under suppression, that's not likely to happen. But as you say, it's people right across the different dimensions of society who are amongst the Christian church. And so you might have this formation of almost like super missionaries. Any speculation here, and it is speculation, but the, the sorts of things that will happen 
in a time when the Communist Party perhaps is toppled and some level of freedom comes and the people of China can spread their wings in a missionary sense. Any thoughts here? Uh, yes, and of course it is all speculation. I don't have any, I don't, you know, never have suggested that I have any great, uh, you know, visionary thing. So it is all speculation, but boy, I just, it seems to me that God is preparing the Chinese church for something phenomenal. Now, the Chinese church has long uh, believed it has a calling to take the gospel back to Jerusalem, right? So to go from China west all the way back to where it came from. Now, if you go right back to like the 4th century and the 5th century, when missionaries first went mostly from Assyria, actually, from uh, they were Assyrian missionaries, so going from Mesopotamia, but so going from the Middle East across the Silk Road. You know, people forget that the whole Silk Road was a highway from Europe to China, and and the whole area was open, and there were big centres of Christian education with monasteries and uh, they called them uh, metropolitans like archbishoprics, even in places like Herat, which is in western Afghanistan, and Merv, which is in uh, Turkmenistan. These places were centres of Christianity all the way across to China. That changed when Islam came through and cut the, cut the Assyrians off from their missionary work and, of course, it changed again in the 14th century with the rise of the Mongols and Genghis Khan and, and, and his descendants who essentially, over the course of the 14th century, uh, almost obliterated and wiped out Christianity in Central Asia. And then, uh, then you've got, of course, the, China, the communist era. So that whole Eurasia block has been a black hole for hundreds of years. I believe that's, that if the New Silk Road is really effective, so this is the China's Belt Road Initiative, it's Silk Road to create pathways right back to Europe through Central Asia, it will open up possibilities that are just mind-blowing for two-way communication. And I have a feeling that the gospel will be going from the east to the west rather than the other way around. A new era, it will dawn. In the meantime, Elizabeth Kendall, China's church has to persevere through these very testing times Uh, the population control, as we've been talking about, uh, the social credit system, uh, where everything is monitored, as surveillance like we can only uh, try to imagine here. Uh, The church is also affected by those things, and it's under intense pressure. Your thoughts here, Elizabeth, about how we here in Australia might pray for our Chinese brothers and sisters. Uh, how How do we respond from here? Look, we need to sustain, we need to hold them up and and pray that God will sustain them and encourage them because it's going to be extremely difficult. Uh, China has been busy bulldozing churches that are not aligned with the Communist Party, uh, imprisoning pastors that have been criticising the Communist Party, disappearing Christian lawyers who have criticised the Communist Party. 
But this goes right down to just humble families. And this is where it's going to get even worse. This is, I think I'll be writing about this this week for the prayer bulletin. So we have this situation where we're finding Christian families, just because of their association with like a house church pastor or a house church that has been known to be critical, that the church is banned and these families are finding all of a sudden that they can't, that their landlord won't renew their lease. They, they are finding themselves homeless. And I'm just sort of thinking, boy, you know, in this next period after this Congress, you're going, they're going to put the social credit system together, the COVID measures together. It's quite likely that these Christians could find themselves with, you know, like red traffic lights on their phone when it comes to even just leasing a house to live in. I mean, just try to imagine that for a minute. Uh, you know, we're talking about a lot of people. We're talking about ordinary mums and dads with little children could be finding themselves homeless without access to medications and hospitals. Um, that's the way this is going to go. It's going to be a tight throttling of the church right down to its building blocks, its people. And we need to pray for great wisdom and that God will sustain them through this because the devil is out to, to get them. He, this is a major spiritual battle in our day. I would say the major spiritual battle for our day. So as Xi Jinping solidifies his leadership, uh, likely for the rest of his life, the possibility that the persecution of the Christian church could well be from this point forward on steroids with all of the technological advancements at his disposal to control people, uh, one of those controlling targets is going to be the Christian church. Uh, let me encourage listeners, you can read an extensive article about the sorts of things we are talking about today when you go to elizabethkendall.com. That's Elizabeth with a Z, Kendall with one L, elizabethkendall.com. And a new website, uh, you can sign up for the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin and an opportunity to connect with and support the good work that Elizabeth Kendall is doing. Elizabeth Kendall is a religious liberty analyst and advocate for the persecuted church. And you might wonder, are young people interested in what Elizabeth has to say? Well, Elizabeth has started an Instagram uh, account. Uh, she's got a following now with a whole lot of younger people and you might want to encourage the younger people in your sphere to connect with Elizabeth Kendall on Instagram. Uh, Elizabeth, just how's that going with uh, with a younger generation uh, connecting with the sorts of things you like to share? Well, slowly. Everything goes slowly. And uh, I just am very, very grateful for people like you, Neil, who are prepared to uh, you know, give me an opportunity to speak because it's getting harder and harder in this day and age to to break through, uh, to break through anywhere really. And there's so much out there. That's part is part of the problem. And when you visit Elizabeth on her website, elizabethkendall.com, look for a tab that gives you an opportunity to make a donation to the good work that Elizabeth is doing. Uh, don't forget those books too. Turn Back the Battle. Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today and After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. Elizabeth Kendall, 
Thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us on a very significant topic, Talking China Today on 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.